Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. Nick Bradley here. Welcome. It's Scale Up Your Business time again for another week. Um, I'm absolutely loving doing these episodes lately. I just wanted to kind of call that out. It's been full-on over the whole pandemic, I think, for everybody. I made the decision at the beginning of lockdown, if you like, that I was going to put more stuff out there, decided to launch two episodes a week. So 15 minutes to action plus the longer interviews on a Thursday. And it's been amazing just to see how many people have been brought into the Scale Up Your Business community, listening to the podcast, joining our group on Facebook. And I'm just inspired by the amazing stories that are coming through now of people who are really doing everything they possibly can with their business, with their life, making the most of opportunities that are being presented. And, and I'm just super grateful that I'm part of that and can help and inspire you to kind of get to where you want to get to with your business and of course your life. So today I have an amazing guest. I always say I've got an amazing guest, but the reason the guest today is amazing is because it kind of takes me back a little bit to uh, when I was a kid and some of the dreams that I had when I was growing up. So I was asked recently that if I wasn't doing what I was doing now in terms of helping people with their businesses and all the stuff I've done in investment and private equity, you know, what would I, what would I have done? What, what did I want to be when I was a kid? And, you know, I wanted to be a, an athlete and uh, particularly I wanted to play professional basketball and I coached it and I had many opportunities and I got to a reasonable level certainly not professional level, but um, I, you know, I, I improved and it was a real passion of mine. So sport for me has always been a big thing. And as I was growing up, I was also obsessed with um, American sports generally. And I used to love gridiron. So in the national football league and my team were, it still is actually the new England Patriots. And I can remember as a, as a kid growing up, I'd stay up late in Australia to watch the Super Bowl. And it was just, I don't know what it was about it. I just kind of liked the fact that the game was quite strategic. It was like, you know, a game of chess really. And, and I just found the whole thing fascinating. So I'm excited today because I have a guest on Scale Up Your Business who has played in the NFL. In fact, he's started for three separate NFL teams and uh, he has had a, a pretty, pretty awesome career in what is a, a tough a tough place to compete, you know, professional sports. So the person I have on Scale Up Your Business today is Chris Gronkowski. Now, if you haven't heard of the Gronkowski name, first and foremost, you got to look it up. It's, I, I don't know what, what to call it, royalty of, of American sports or something cheesy like that. But there are, there are five brothers in the Gronkowski household and each and every one of them has played high level sort of professional sports to some extent, which is incredible, right? Like, you know, it's hard to make it in that world alone, let alone have five from the same family. And what's interesting about it is they've all done different things. They've, they've all um, been successful 
not just in sport, but they've been involved in business as well. And Chris, you know, when he comes on the show shortly, has just had a stellar um, career in different ways, as I said, both with sport and entrepreneurship. So first and foremost, he had a full scholarship to play Division I football. Um, he graduated from the University of Arizona with a bachelor's degree in accounting. As I said, he, he went on to play NFL. He landed in the NFL as an undrafted free agent and played for three different teams, the Dallas Cowboys, the Indianapolis Colts, and the Denver Broncos. And once his career finished, and this is something we get into in the show, you kind of you can't expect that you're always going to make a lot of money from our professional sport and you're always going to you know, be able to do whatever you want afterwards. So he was very, very intentional about creating a business, an online business. And since then, he's gone on to create an amazing brand called Ice Shaker, a product that launched uh, in uh, 2016. He's been on Shark Tank, which is the uh, US equivalent of Dragon's Den. He's had investment and the business is going from strength to strength. So Chris is coming on Scale Up Your Business today to talk about that journey, to talk about entrepreneurship. But the thing I want you to listen to is this, the grit, the resilience, the determination, the stuff that Chris learned, you know, as a, as a, a young guy growing up with, you know, four brothers around him, all competing, all trying to take themselves to the next level, the importance of his mother and father in that upbringing. And, and just, you know, he's a humble guy, and he talks a little bit about the things he had to do, how he had to show up to even make the NFL and, and to be successful in different parts of his life. And it's those bits, those nuggets, sometimes they're just small little comments that I want you to listen to because that's where the gold is in this episode. And if you're sitting there today, you've gone through COVID, through the pandemic, and you're thinking, ah, my business, I'm panicking. I don't know what to do. My mindset's all over the place. Help, help, help. This is the episode that's going to kind of give you Maybe, or certainly some ideas, but maybe just a little bit more perspective. So there we are. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Chris Gronkowski. All righty, everybody. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business. We've got another live show for you today, and I'm delighted to have on Scale Up Your Business, Mr. Chris Gronkowski. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Nick, thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm excited to be here. That was a good oh, man, intro listen, too, man. Well, you know like what? I've been, I've been looking forward to this. You know what? I'm, I'm a bit of a closet um, NFL fan. I'm a bit of a closet American sports fan. So we are at the risk here of just talking about this sort of stuff, like, you know, sports stuff for the whole thing, which would be, you know, a bit of a shame considering it's about business. But <laughs> before, before we kind of get into everything tonight, do you want to do a bit of an intro about who you are, a little bit about your family? Because I, I can't think of another sporting family that's got the the pedigree that you've got. So just give us a bit of an introduction to who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So Chris Gronkowski, I am the middle of the five Gronkowski brothers, uh, four of which uh, went on to play in the NFL. The oldest brother, he was too scared to play football. So he, he did get drafted into the minor leagues for baseball. Uh, but for me, uh, played four years in the NFL. I was the shortest, the smallest, the slowest in the family. So I think I did a pretty good job for myself. Uh, and used that in, in my NFL career to really propel me into business. Uh, became an entrepreneur right afterwards. And I'm on, I'm on my second, um, first business was with, with my wife. And my, this is now my second business. Um, and so both of them. So both have been super successful for us. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, that must be, first and foremost, Sunday lunch or, or dinner at the parents' house must be a bit fun. 
I mean, how, yeah, competi- how competitive is that? I mean, do you guys like arm wrestle to see who gets the, the, the biggest bit of chicken or what? Oh, we did back in the day for sure. And, and what was crazy about it is my mom, uh, you know, she was a stay-at-home mom, but it was probably a harder job than any full-time job you could have. Wow. And she fed us every single meal um, from, from breakfast. She, we packed our lunches every single day. And we never went out to eat dinner because she couldn't handle us. I, I mean, we're so out of control that going to dinner was just this huge process. So she made every single meal. And, and it was. It was like that. It, it was com- competition over food, over lifting weights, uh, and then over every single little game we could think of, backyard baseball, hockey in the basement. I mean, anything you could think of, we had a competition over. Yeah. No, I listened to, um, a, in preparation for this show, I listened to an interview that uh, all of you guys did on Ed Milet's show. Yeah. Yeah, that was Which good. Was- yeah, I mean that was a bit of a challenge to because trying to interview one person's hard, two gets even more difficult. Trying to interview five people, but but there was a lot of um, discussion about your dad and the influence he had on you and and your brothers growing up. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? About kind of because obviously there's there's a I mean for all of you to end up playing some level of of sports to the to the you know sort of level you have is huge. So just tell me about that upbringing a bit. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean both my parents uh, did an amazing job. They were an amazing team. Uh, together. But for my dad, uh, you know, we got to watch him start his own business. Uh, He worked six years, two jobs, trying to get his own business off the ground. And he's now been uh, over 30 years in the fitness industry. Uh, He's he's one of the top three distributors of specialty fitness equipment in the US now. So uh, for us, it was all about just earning everything that you got. So nothing was never, ever handed to us. You know, if we wanted to go to college, awesome. You're paying for it. Uh, you know, if you want a new car, great, go get a job. Uh, and so we did, you know, at, at a young age, we had a paper route. Uh, I think maybe I was 10 at that point. Um, you know, my older brother, Gordy w- was probably, uh, 14 to 15 at that time. And it was just all about teaching us responsibility and teaching us the value of a dollar. Uh, and that's what we learned. Uh, worked for my dad, uh, when I was 15, moving treadmills, heavy equipment into, uh, into, into city houses. And, um, it was just all about hard work. And you know, and respect for everyone. So um, my dad coached us uh, in little league, and he always said, you know, treat your coaches with respect. You never know where they can help you down the line. And um, you know, everything we learned just was to do things the right way the first time, and, and put the work in, and it will, eventually it's going to pay off. Yeah, wow. I mean, that's uh, that's huge. So because I think um, what I what I remember from the Ed Milet interview is there was a strong set of values. In, in your family and those values that you then took onto the sporting field, but that obviously you've taken into business as well. What's the, what's one memory that you can think of that was probably one of the biggest learnings you had growing up that you've then sort of taken with you as almost like a mantra or something that's kind of paid the path or laid the path for where you've um, your success. Yeah, uh, man, there's, there's a lot. One story sticks out and it's funny because my dad doesn't remember it, but um, he was our coach and he couldn't make it to one of the practices and, you know, we were the best players on our team, right? Um, and mostly because I was competing against my older brothers and there's just so much competition going on throughout the households. But uh, I, I remember that our coach, the guy, the guy, our assistant coach asked us to run at the end of practice and run around a lacrosse net. And so I ran to it. I touched it. I ran back. I was the first one back. And he said, hey, you didn't run around it. You touched it. And so everyone else on the team ran around it and he made me redo it. And instead of redoing it, I told him no. And um at that point, my dad um, called it. He called my dad, and my dad said, "Hey, make him walk home." And I was like, "Okay." Um, you know, halfway halfway through that walk, my dad came and picked me up and was like, "You don't ever disrespect anyone like that again. I don't care who it is." And 
they can help you further on, like uh, down the road. They, you know, this could be someone that's very important to you. You don't know who it is, so don't ever disrespect anyone who's trying to help you get better. Uh, with that, this guy ended up being the athletic director for the University of Buffalo and gave me my first college scholarship offer. Uh, so it was so true wow. what he said, and it was just one of those things that stuck out so much. And I just never, you know, ever again would, would disrespect a coach or, or someone that was trying to help me out after that point. Wow. I mean, there's there's also something in that that kind of jumps out, which is, I mean, the respect thing's massive, right? And all this this idea that, um, you know, you never know. One decision that you make today may be something that comes back many times over. But but that that sort of two things there, work ethic and standards jump out for me as well. Because like clearly that's the sort of stuff that, you know, a lot of people when I work with them in their businesses, for whatever reason, they they give up too quickly. You know, they they look for the easy route through, but it sounds like you guys have had to work your way through everything and been taught very well um, throughout your throughout your life. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's always been that way, and you know, it's hard at first. And and one of the hardest things, really, for me now is to teach my children that. You know, for my dad to and mom to just constantly say, "Hey, you know, this is not the right. We don't. We shouldn't just hand you it. You have to earn it." That's hard to do. You know, I, I have kids now, and I want to give them the world. And I know at first, maybe my mom and dad didn't have the means to do it. And, um, you know, so I could understand that might have been a little bit easier for them to say no at that point. But, you know, my dad went on to be be very successful and, and they had the money to do it. And even at that point, it was still, hey, I'm not handed you anything. You know, you're going to earn it. So I'm, I'm hoping I have the courage to do it myself <laughs> with my three boys, because, man, when they when they ask something for something and you have the means to give it to them, it's very hard to say no. Yeah, I don't think I'm very good with that with my two daughters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're too damn cute, man. They, girls, but... they kind of stare at me and they're like, you know, they do this kind of face where they kind of like, mm, "Daddy," I'm like, "Oh man." <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's tough, man. It really yeah. is. And um, even even with the boys, I mean, they're young, uh, three boys under the age of three. But when they ask for something, you want to give it to them. And I think this at this age, it, it might be all right. But further down the road, I really have to start. You know, you know, really ingraining that into them that, hey, you're going to work for this if you want it. Yeah, indeed. Okay, well, let's jump ahead a little bit. In I want to sort of still touch on the sporting career before we get into the business career because I often find that the psychology of success, as I said, works across anything you do. Like there's a famous saying that says how you do anything is how you do everything, right? Mm-hmm. So I believe you you went into the NFL, was it in 2010, undrafted? Right. right, and then you kind of had to work your way into that, and then you've ended up starting on a number of teams. Right, just take me through that process because that's like super competitive, isn't it? I mean, to be able to break through, just to even get like a starting role on a team is hard, from what I understand. Yeah, so I'll I'll, I'll really break it down for you. Uh, to go undrafted uh, to the Dallas Cowboys, where I went, uh, there hadn't been a player in ten years that had made the roster after going undrafted uh, at, at the point oh. when I got there. Um, also, on top of that, uh, the fullback position that I played, not every team carried a fullback. Uh, so I, I think that year, maybe 27 or 28 teams out of 32 had a fullback. And if you had a fullback, I usually had one and that was it. So you had one starting fullback. You usually didn't carry a backup. Um, and if you had a backup, you might have been a practice squad if, if you even had one. So, uh, yeah, the odds of making it at that point are, are very, very small. Uh in every team that I went and played on, I was I was actually the only fullback on uh, when I was starting fullback. So, yeah, most other positions like a, a tight end or running back, they'll have at least three of them per team, uh, if not more. Sometimes tight ends will have four or five of them. 
Uh, so every position kind of has a backup or a couple at least uh, besides a pullback because uh, it, it's kind of getting pushed out and there's other players that can kind of fill that role. So uh, it, it's tough to make it. Uh, so really, I had to be one of these 27 or 28 uh, best players at my position in the world uh, to make it. And on top of that, I was coming in as an undrafted free agent. So uh, coming in undrafted, it's kind of, you know, that one shot, that one opportunity, and that's all you get. You know, if you mess up, it's not like, hey, we'll give him another chance. It's, hey, you know, we didn't pay anything for him to be here. Uh, he doesn't have any guaranteed money. Uh, we didn't waste a draft spot on him. So, you know, he's out of here. And that's how I had to look at it. Uh, for me, my mentality going into it was, hey, my, my older brothers got drafted. Uh, my younger brother just got drafted in the second round. And I'm the only one in the family that has not got drafted. And it was this mentality. It just, I was a completely different person, but the mentality was, hey, I'm not going to live the rest of my life thinking and being asked, why didn't you make it? You know, what happened to you? And why did your whole family make it to pro sports except you? And that fire, man, you want to talk about mindset and really changing uh, your outlook on everything and how you perform. That did it for me. That put me at a whole different level that, it's, it's very hard for me to ever think of how I got there. Like if I went back and looked at myself now, I'd be scared of myself because that's, that's the mentality that I had. There was absolutely nothing that was going to stop me from making that team. I mean, yeah, but that, this is cool, right? So this is why I want to play with this because I said that same mentality is what you need to be successful in business. You know, it's like yeah. a relentless drive, a relentless fire just to, to firstly not give up, to have the belief that you can actually do it and then do the work, Right. So, so I mean, back to back to the kind of I'm still, you know, um, uh, in, in awe of the fact that you've got these these five brothers and they've all just doing really, really well at sport, like at the highest possible level. So this mindset stuff, I mean, what what else is the formula behind that? Can you think of, you know, you must have had this conversation with other people before. You must have sat down with your family and talked about it. But is this something that's been learned, or is this been just something in your DNA? What do you think about that? I mean, I, th I think it was learned but we didn't realize that we were learning it uh, okay. you know, way back when uh, all day, every single day was that competition. We were that house that every kid came over to. So it wasn't just me competing against my brothers. It was me competing against my brothers, his friends. Uh, and it was just all out every day. So uh, the mentality that we learned back then in the mindset was we're going to do whatever we can to beat them. And, and at that point, it, that, that's what you did all day. All every single day was, was all out brawls. Uh, finding ways to you know get around or or get better than them at, at certain things. So I think that mentality of, of just I'm going to do whatever I can to win just got built into us naturally at a young age. And and then on top of that, just being taught the right principles uh, of trying to earn everything you have and and you know actually school as well. I, I think was very important as well. And that was something that my mom did a really good job of just ingraining into us as well. Was that you know, you don't get there without school as well. So you better study. We actually had to go and do all of our homework before we were allowed to go out and play every day. Uh, and for me, it actually became a huge part for me because my scholarship pretty much came because of my grades. I was actually going to the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, I, was, I was in Ivy League. I was accepted into the Wharton Business School, which was a huge deal. And I was about to go pay about $50,000 a year uh, to go to Ivy League. And at the last minute, I actually got a scholarship to the University of Maryland, uh, D1 scholarship, and, and I took it. And, and really, it came because they were losing a bunch of guys, and um, they were about to go on academic probation. So they reached out and said, hey, we have these scholarships open now because these guys dropped out. They have to go to a prep school, or some of the guys on the team couldn't make the cut. So um, you know, we'll give you the scholarship, but 
you know, you pretty much better come in and have a 4.0. We're going to be pretty disappointed in you. Uh, so really all those things that we learned at a young age from, from school, uh, value of a dollar, and then the competition, I think it all, we just kind of naturally learn most of it and it kind of just got ingrained with us and stuck with us for the rest of our life yeah fantastic okay that's cool i just wanted to probe that for a little bit before we get into the business side because i think it's as i said it's a thread that's going to run through tonight's conversation so so we now we now leave the nfl did you go did you start developing your first business the one you, you did with your wife was that while you were still playing or was that something that happened with a clear transition point so for that, I never thought I'd get into it. Uh, it, it was this personalization business and um, it came about because I, I went to three teams in three years, ended up going to four. But um, you know, after my third year, my third move, really my fourth move because of college as well, uh, my wife finally said, hey, I am not gonna go to another job interview. I'm gonna find a way to work from home. So I started from hand painting wine glasses. I came home, she was baking them in the oven. I was like, this is ridiculous. Uh, but they started to sell and she started to find ways to scale it up, do it faster. And really at that point, um, it, it was the end of my first contract. So I had a three-year contract after that, you gotta, you gotta find another team. Uh, if the team doesn't resign you and give you another one. So I had this little void and with it, I kind of looked into it and said, wow, there's a huge gap in the market here. There's a huge opportunity here. You know, let's, let's investigate it a little bit more. And, um, I started helping her out. We started buying commercial grade laser engravers and, um, started to source our own product at that point. I ended up going back to the chargers and, you know, in the back of my mind, I always knew that, you know, at least I have something to fall on now um, if I need to, if I don't make it. And I ended up getting uh, hurt in camp, a high ankle sprain. Um, I was out for three months and they gave me an injury settlement. So um, at that point, that was kind of when I said, Hey, um, let's get healthy. Let's see if I can get back in the league. Uh, but if I can't, I, I got this other business that's, that's taken off. So that's where that transition came from. Um, it wasn't this clear cut decision or anything like that. For me, I was actually going to take my accounting degree that I had from the University of Arizona. And uh, my game plan was to actually do players taxes. What people oh, don't know okay. is that, yeah, like people, people don't realize that NFL players have to pay taxes in every state they play in. Uh, so your first time you file, you know, you're filing in eight different states. Uh, you have no idea what you're doing because you never made money before and you end up paying a CPA you know, a big chunk of money to do it for you. So uh, I paid my first year, I paid a CPA and I, I looked back and said, you know, what am I doing? I, I have an accounting degree. Why am I not doing it myself? And then at that point, um, you know, the idea came of, hey, I've always these these credits from college. Uh, why don't I just go get uh, take the CPA exam and, and become a CPA and I could come back and, and do all the players taxes because I know all the write-offs. You know, I, I know it inside and out. It could be a nice little gig for me for about three months a year uh, to, to to get this um, this business from from other players that are going to trust me because I was a former player myself. So all that, my clear game plan for that just completely went out the window uh, when my wife's business started to take off. So I jumped all in with her. And um, within the first year, I was actually making more money outside the NFL uh, than I was playing. So it ended up being a, a good transition for me. Well, I still, I still like the um, the accountancy business as well, mate. You're gonna have to start. Of, you're gonna have to do all of these. I might you have to start it back up. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Like, it was funny because yeah. I was having a conversation today with a professional basketball player. He actually plays in or played in Europe, and um, and he wanted to kind of um, start a business with me about how we can actually go out there and help uh, professional athletes who are leaving their sport. They've reached the age or they've had some form of retirement, could be injury or whatever else, and then helping them start businesses. 
because a lot of people try and do that because it's funny you know it's 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 a it's a defined period of time isn't it i mean what do you get what's the average 10 years is that in in professional sport oh, it's probably less than the nfl i imagine nfl is uh well it's two and a half and what they do is um you really wow. don't get anything unless you make it to three so you, you get you get your pension all the benefits after three years credited so you have to play in at least three games or be on the roster for at least three games a year. So it, it's tough. It's tough to make it for three years in the NFL. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. But so, so let's go into this business because, because as you said there, like obviously it was doing very, very well. It, it, it's, you made it sound in a humble way as if it was a little bit by accident, but I don't believe any of that because <laughs> everything else of your former story, Chris, doesn't feel like accident. There's a lot of intention there. So, so what role did you play in this with your wife? What was your role specifically in the business? So for me at that time, it was really about finding the best products with the highest profit margins to bring in. That that was kind of my goal was to look at the market, you know, see where there was gaps, see where the most profitable products were, and then find a way to source them. And that's what I was doing. Uh, for her, it was exact opposite. Um, she was in it for the she she loved it. You know, it was, it was her passion. So she wanted to make what she loved doing, uh, what looked good, what was pretty, uh, all that. And and I just went the exact opposite way. And I just said, hey, I know you don't like pocket knives um, or flash sets or anything like that, but these have ridiculously high margin on it. So I'm going to bring them in. And um, so that that was my goal. My goal was really I was scaling kind of the manly side of it. So like the guy's gifts, the groomsmen gifts and, and hers was was more the female side of it. So it worked out really well. And what was cool about it was it was just two completely different sides of the coin. Uh, you know, she did a really good job on that. I did a really good job on the, on the guy's side. Um, I ran the laser engraving machines. We were doing it all. So um, scaled it up pretty good. Did that for about five years. And then at that point, it was kind of, uh, you know, her passion. It still was. I put it all into it, but I thought of this other idea and it was my passion. I was working out two days, you know, uh, two times a day sometimes. And I was all about health and fitness. I was like, man, it's hard for me to tell someone, a former teammate of mine that, you know, I, I have a personalization shop that does wedding gifts now. Like I need something. I need something that's more manly that fits me in my persona. And so uh, when I thought of the idea for the shaker bottle, it was kind of that all-in point for me. It was. It was like you know. It it, it was that that turning point, and, and I knew I had to go for it. Got it. Now I love this story. So so tell us. I mean, tell us obviously about what what you do now and and how you got to doing that now. Because I've read a little bit about this before the show, but I'd like you to share it with the audience. Yeah. So. It, it, it all came about. It was a Texas day, um, kind of like today in the summer. I think it was July at the time. And, How hot uh, is it there at the moment? So they, it gets oh, up into the hundreds or something, doesn't it? In, Far in, um, yes. in Fahrenheit. So we're, yeah, we're low hundreds right now. Wow, I guess hot. So that's and, uh, 30s yeah. over here, 30 degrees, probably Celsius, something like that. Yeah, it, it was boiling out. And um, it was just one of those days where I was actually going to the gym twice. I went there in the morning. Uh, I was leaving work. I was going back to the gym and uh, I stopped home. I had to get some pre-workout because I was I was dying that day and uh, grabbed it, refilled it with water, went to the gym. And by the time I got there, all the ice was melted. It was sweating everywhere. I was making sweat rings on, on the floor at the gym. And that's when the idea hit me. And I was like, man, there's so much technology out there with insulated bottles. And you know, the shaker bottle hasn't changed in, in 10 or 20 years. And why don't I take that technology and let's make an all-in-one bottle? I love shaker bottles, man. I, I, I don't know. I grew up using a shaker bottle and I use it for a cup all day long. So the idea was let's make the best cup that I could that I can use all day, every day for everywhere that I went. So you know, I'll bring it to work, but I'll also bring it to the gym. I'll bring it to the pool, bring it on the airplane. And at any moment, you know, I could just bust out some powder out of my bag if I'm traveling and mix up a shake. 
so the game plan was, you know, I need a cup that's easy to fill. Um, most of them on the market that were insulated, they had like these tiny little tops on them. So, you know, you had to take a funnel and, and try to get powder in there. And then you had to clean it. I've done that before. Press. I've done that before. And you get the sticky, <laughs> sticky protein stuff all over you. And it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not fun. I know that. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so super easy to fill. That was, that was number one. Uh, number two, easy to clean as well. Uh, and I wanted it to keep drink cold or hot. And then really at the end of the day, it had to have a way to mix. Uh, what's the game plan? So, you know, went on this journey. Uh, what was good about it was that we already knew how to source product from my wife's business. Uh, so we were able to use a lot of resources that we already had. And and the journey began. Uh, you know, it was, it was about 20 prototypes later. Our main objective was to make sure that didn't leak. Uh, every metal bottle on the market at that time, the biggest complaint about it was that it didn't seal correctly. because It's a little bit harder to seal, uh, you know, a, a metal bottle. So especially with the shaker bottle, the game plan was this bottle is not going to leak. So we just kept going through different prototypes and seals until we finally got something that we thought was uh, worth hitting the shelves. Right. And so let's take us through the journey. So, so obviously this is scale up your business um, and, and you're kind of scaling up your business now, which is great. But let's just take us through the journey. So you launched this um, product in uh, December, 2016, if I'm correct, thereabouts. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And, and just take us through kind of, you know, that those three ish years, What's what's been happening? Because you also had a bit of an interesting, um, a bit of fun with some investors, which I understand as well. So, but I want to I want you to articulate the journey so people can understand it from your perspective, so they can learn from your story. Yeah, for sure. So the journey, the journey began. I got a, I got ten thousand bottles in, and at that point, I had no audience base, no customer base at all. Um, you know, I had about twenty five thousand followers on Twitter, I think, at the time from playing in the NFL, and um, had no marketing plan. Uh, no go-to-market plan at all. You know, I I just thought, hey, I had this really successful business with my wife. Um, you know, I, my I, my family name's pretty well known. This is going to be pretty easy, right? So, at first week, I you know I put out some social. Uh, you know, I, I tell everybody that I have this product, and, and I think I sold like seven bottles the first week or something like that. And at that that's point, not too I said, bad. "That's not too, some people. Some people don't, don't sell. I mean, you probably think it's terrible, right? But some people don't sell anything for like months. They're going like, this is terrible. When the product might be great, it's just that they haven't articulated or communicated it well. So sevens are right. So yeah, it's. I mean, it, it was terrible. Uh, I, I, I thought it was going to be like this. I mean, because it's your own product and you yeah. know what it can do, and you're so excited about it, but no one else knows it. No one else trusts it. No one else has ever heard of it before. So uh, that was a huge eye opener for me and. At that point, I said, man, I've really got to figure this out. So uh, the first thing I did, I actually went to Amazon and I figured, hey, I'll go to the biggest marketplace in the U.S. And if I can't sell it there, this is going to be a, a tough, tough thing to sell. So I uh, immediately went on there. And, and what I did was I just looked at all the listings that were ranked number one uh, for Shaker Bottle. And so I looked at them and I was like, huh, you know, maybe I got to make my listing a little better, add some more pictures. And then at that point, I said, hey. Uh, you know, I better check some other terms too. Let me see what other you know, categories are doing as well. So I type that in and I compare and, and I just see what everyone's doing to rank to the top. And then I started doing it. So you know, certain pictures, amount of pictures, certain keywords where they were put uh, in, in the bullet points and the titles and the descriptions, all that. And, and I kind of just learned everything by seeing what other people were doing. So you know, had uh, no so, coaching or mentoring on this. So no one, no online retail specialist had come in and said, this is how you do it. This is how you game the Amazon system, anything like that. Absolutely nothing. Uh, at that point, I refused to pay any money for marketing. Uh, okay. My wife's business, because of how successful it was, 
um, and how organically it spread. Uh, we didn't pay anything for for marketing at all with her, her business, and that did so well because at that point uh, in 2012, when we started, no one was able to turn around personalized gifts within a week period. We were actually sending stuff out the same day, so the organic reach on that when someone got a product, they, they were so amazed. Sometimes they got it two days later uh, that they would tell everyone, like, hey, if you guys need a gift, boom, this is your place to go, especially if you need it quick. So uh, with that, it, it exploded fast with, with no marketing. So with iShaker, I'm like, I am not spending money either. Like, I don't need to. Why am I going to spend marketing dollars? So nothing. Uh, didn't ask anyone for, for any help. Tried to do it all myself. So uh, Amazon was first. I was actually able to get the listing up into the top three um, on Amazon for the term shaker bottle, um, shaker cup was a little harder. I was on the first page, uh, but I, but I started to get up there organically. Um, and then after that, it was, you know, we need to get this in front of people. You know, I need to see if this will sell in person, um, you know, without it being my family or friends. Right. Uh, cause they're going to always tell you what you want to hear, no matter what, uh, even if you beg them to tell you the truth, they're not going to tell you the truth. I was so. going to say, I was going to say, did the brothers like it? Or was this one of these things they're saying, no, Chris, this is crap. This is like, yeah, but we'll say it's nice cause you're our brother. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't know still to this moment, but, um, I'll tell you that the first model wasn't great. Uh, yeah. you know, it, it was what it was. We're on the third version of it now. And the first one was basically a cup with a shaker top on it and that was it. So. Uh, the name Ice Shaker actually came because there was no way to blend it. Uh, so I had to find a way to to blend it. So I, I just said, hey, we'll throw some ice cubes in it. We'll call it the Ice Shaker. So that's where the name actually came from. I love the name. Uh, I think the name's really good because it kind of gets across the point that you want something cold. You don't want this mucky, like, you know, as you said, Texas sun smoothie of a Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh yeah, so I don't know if they liked it or not to this day, but I had to find out if people did or not. So yeah, uh, I started going to shows, mostly bodybuilding shows. And, uh, you know, the easiest way to sell the product was to bring a plastic shaker, fill it up with ice, bring the ice shaker, and then hand it to people. So as they walk by, I would hand it to them and I'd say, hey, you know, check this out. And they grab it and, you know, the, the plastic one was freezing cold, was sweating everywhere. And then they grab the ice shaker and they're like, what's your point? I'm like, well, there's ice in that one too. And they're like, no, it's not. So I'm like, yeah, there's ice in that bottle. And, and then they'd shake it and they'd be like, that's probably rocks or something like that. At this point, I'm like, I got them. They're, they're, they're definitely in now. And then they twist the top off. They'd see the ice and they'd be like, wow, you know, I can't believe it. You're right. There is ice in there. Like, how'd you do it? And then I explained to them the, the whole, you know, the vacuum seal and, and the bottle and all that. And then boom, it would sell. So at that point, it was a huge proof of concept for me that if people saw it, if I was able to educate them about it, that it would sell. Uh, so then it was show after show after show, um, cranking them in. And then uh, really all in the back of my mind was this huge game plan for Shark Tank. So you actually had Shark Tank, which in the, in the UK is called Dragon's Den, but everyone knows kind of that thing. So you had this in frame at that point. You wanted to use that as a bit of a publicity play. It, was, it, was, it wasn't really about the investment or it was? No. So investment wise, it, it I mean, it helps. It's definitely nice, yeah. especially early on with, with any company, but I had this email. So in, in 2012, when I was with the uh, the Denver Broncos, my agent at the time sent out an email and it just said, hey, uh, Shark Tank, which is the entertainment show, is looking for any former or current NFL players. And they're just trying to build up, you know, their, their consumer base. They're trying to get some some big names on there to, um, you know, get a couple more people to watch their show. So at that point, um, I was in the middle of my career. I had absolutely nothing to pitch for them. And uh, I love the show. Absolutely love the show. I watched it. Every time, it's great, uh, isn't it? it? I, love, I love watch it. Too. 
all the reruns. I mean, I've seen it all. So I just started the email and I didn't even know what a star meant at that time because I hardly used email, but it's like, I'm going to start this and one day I'm going to come back to this email and um, hopefully I have something awesome. So uh, when I thought of the idea, everything started turning and I said, man, I got this email, but you know, I can't hit them up right away. Like I, I need to sell product first. And when I looked at it, uh, we really started selling in December. I knew that the, the, they would actually record in, um, in June or July. I knew it would be around that time period. So it kind of gave me the six month window of when I got the product to when I could actually possibly film to go on the show. So uh, that's when it all started turning. I'm like, all right, game plan is let's sell as much as we can uh, between the six month period, but let's get some sales first before we even contact them because I don't want to go too early and them say, man, you have nothing. You know, it, it's, it's not even a, a thing yet. So come back when it is. So I waited three months, I shot out the email and uh, got a reply back. And after four years or five years, whatever it was uh, of receiving the first email to when I finally replied, uh, the girl wrote back and just said, Hey, I don't work there anymore. Uh, of so course. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Right. Uh, luckily she hit me back about five minutes later before I even replied to her and just said, Hey, I found the girl that replaced me. Uh, this is her email um, if you want to connect with her. So before I even connected with her, she wrote me back and I was like, oh yeah, this is this is looking good so far. So I uh, shot them over just a little quick thing about the business and what I was trying to do. And they wrote back and just said, hey, uh, sounds awesome. Can you make a submission video? And, and so it was on, it was kind of like this. And this um, is a pitch video, is it? You have to actually pitch, like do almost like what you would do on the show, like a rehearsal to get on. Yeah. Yeah, very similar to it. And um, they told me what to do, like what to put in it, how much I'd ask for, what I think my valuation, stuff like that. So yeah, very, very similar. Um, and so for me, I just saw it kind of as a, you know, being being an undrafted rookie in the NFL. I was like, all right, this is my one shot, my one opportunity. I can't mess this up. And the whole time I knew too that, hey, this is an entertainment show. So let's make this entertaining. So I went all out, um, grabbed my MacBook. And I, I don't think I've ever made a video before that on my MacBook, but I was just throwing everything on there and, and trying to figure it out. And um, came out as a video with, you know, me catching some touchdown passes, showing the product off, uh, slugging protein shakes, and then ripping my shirt off. And it was about a two minute, three minute video. And I shot it in and I'm like, all right, they're going to absolutely I think we love might, this. We might, we might find that and we might leave <laughs> that to the show notes, Chris. I think, I, I you know, tried. I have to do that because it sounds fun. <laughs> I tried to find it. So what they make you do is, um, you submit it as an unlisted uh, video and then you send them the link. And so I'm actually able to see if they watch it or not, but no one else can see it unless you have the link. So yeah, um, I tried to go back like a year ago to find it. And I have no idea because at that time, like I didn't, I had a different email address. Like I didn't have a Gmail account. Like I didn't know how to use YouTube. So I, I might've put it on like my brother's account or, or my wife's, but I cannot find the video anywhere. Okay, so well, that's a likely story, but we'll, we'll we'll run with it. But we might be able to, we might be able to find the episode of um, of Shark Tank somewhere. So we'll find that. You could definitely find that. But if I find the submission video, I will I will post it too. I think I don't know if I'm allowed to. I gotta I gotta check first. But if I'm allowed to, I will post it for sure. That so was you a got, classic. You got on the show, right? And and I love I love the um the, the the slight sort of link back you said about you know that that trying to get in, into the NFL as the undrafted rookie. And then there's there's a thing here, there's a theme here, Chris, about just showing up when you need to show up, right? You know, and making the most of it, which again, I just want to call it out for people listening. That's not a, a usual skill, but it's something that if you really put your mind to it, you can do. So thanks for sharing that with everybody. So, so okay, so you're on the show, right? Did it go well? Did it go bad? 
So yeah, it, it was this huge buildup to the show too. Uh, it's not like you um, you submit a video and then like you're in. Uh, you submit a video, um, they kind of update you every week. They're like, hey, you know, there's forty thousand people that signed up, and it, it only comes down to maybe a couple hundred, if even that. Uh, so there's a lot of buildup to it and a lot of preparation. So um, with that, you know, background checks, all that, make sure that there's absolutely nothing that could go against them um, or ruin the show or anything like that. So a lot of that, and then it was a lot of prep. Um, I had to make sure I was ready. So I watched each and every episode. I took notes. Um, I was ready for any question that was going to be asked to me leading up to that point. So, uh, so when I got out there, that. you prepared that. So you literally went back and studied this. So like you knew, cause there's, there's, a, I mean, who's, who's on the U S you've got what, um, Mark Cuban's on there. Um, yep. who else is there? So we had Lori Grenier, um, yep. Barbara, um, and then we had a rod. So Alex Rodriguez was a guest. Okay. And then, um, uh, then Mr. Wonderful, uh, was, was the fifth. Who's Mr. Wonderful? Uh, man, I, I can't is, he a body, is that a bodybuilder? No, no, no. He's a, <laughs> he's a businessman based out of, based out of Boston. Okay. But, um, we'll we'll check it of, out. Yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. But, but that's, but that's, but they, I mean, he's, I know some guy on the show. <laughs> okay. Right. But you've, but the story here is you've, re- you've, you've, you've really rehearsed this. You've gone in there and thought, you know what, I'm going to be super prepared no matter what. So when they ask you about, you know, cash flow and all these kind of technical things, you've got all that prepared. Absolutely. So oh, pretty man, much cool. down to the T uh, every question, you know, I, I would have my wife or my dad or whoever I could think to just ask me uh, and make sure I was prepared valuations, all that down. Uh, and, and so walking out on the stage, I wasn't really that nervous. Uh, people ask all the time, what, what was, what was, more nerve wracking. So the NFL, uh, you know, your first start or going out at shark tank and NFL all day, all day, every day. I mean, I was shaking. Why is that? Why, I mean, why is that? Okay. Cause let's just play with this. Is that because obviously having been on the stage in front of thousands of people, you know, week in, week out or whatever it was when you're in the NFL, you got used to being on stage. So therefore showing up, was it that? Or? I don't think so. Um, really, my NFL career, you don't know people are there uh, for the most part. You know, it, it's you have such a focus and you have so much adrenaline pumping that you could be standing right next to me on the sidelines screaming at me. I probably wouldn't hear you. Uh, so oh, I don't okay. think that's what it is. What I think it is is uncertainty. Uh, with Shark Tank, I can prepare. You know, I can pretty much guess what they're going to ask. Uh, you know, I'm confident that I'm going to go out there and I'm going to know the answers. Where in the NFL, what I think makes it so, uh, you know, really get to you is that, you know, on this play, I might have this responsibility, but, you know, at the last second, right before they snap the ball, they might switch the defense. And all of a sudden I might be blocking this guy who just walked up on the line at the last second. Uh, So in the NFL, I think it's just that you just never know what's going to happen. And there's really, no matter how much you prepare, you're always doing things on the fly. So it's never going to be, hey, I'm going to go in on this play. It's going to be a straight up ISO in the middle. Yeah, and I'm going to hit the linebacker. Well, you know, the D, D lineman, he might stunt completely across the entire line. I might be end up going through the C gap and I might end up blocking someone else because my linebacker got ate up by, by a lineman instead. So there's just this massive uncertainty and you really never know how a game's going to turn out or what a player is really like when you go against them, no matter how much film you watch. Oh, so you know what? I've, I've done some pretty big pitching in my time, like for, for millions of, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and I can tell you the same thing happens. <laughs> you, you prepare and then there's a wild card that comes into the boardroom and you're thinking you're pitching this thing and they throw something at you. So the preparation in the NFL, to be frank, is equally as um, useful um, when you get onto some of those things. So 
So, of course, to take us through, sorry, I'm, I'm enjoying the story, <laughs> as I do often on this show. <laughs> so you're there, you've, you've prepared, you've showed up, you're on, you're, on, you're on TV, you're on stage with these guys. What happens there? Yeah, so I, I think the game changer was, uh, and my secret weapon was just having my family there. Uh, so I'm about two minutes into the pitch. I scream into the back room, and all of a sudden, my four brothers just come charging out. We do this oh, massive wow. chest bump, and um, it, it's like something they never seen before, right? It, and they're just like, "You got to be kidding me right now!" And uh, we do this massive flex, and, and at that point, they're you know, I was a small guy on the stage. All of a sudden, I look pretty big, and I, I cut off shirt on, and, and all of a sudden, I'm you know, I'm 6'2", 235 pounds, and I look tiny on stage. So um, I, I think that was big. And then just having my family out there was just a uh, it was a huge blessing for me. Like it really calms you down. You really feel like you, you know you, you're you're part of people that you know. It kind of just became this this family atmosphere, and I think I avoided a lot of tough questions because of that. Uh, so at that point, it it was just um, kind of answering answering kind of pretty easy questions um, for about forty five minutes. The show really gets cut down to the best parts only, uh, probably about six to eight minutes. But really, they know everything about you by the time you leave. Uh, so they drilled me about high school, where I was going to college, what I did after the NFL, what I did during the NFL. And, and at the end of the day, they knew every single aspect about me. But all they showed was, you know, the chest bumps and us playing flip cup against the Sharks and uh, walking out with a deal. So we ended up getting offers from all five. Uh, I closed the deal with Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez on the show. And then after that, it, it is what they say it is. Uh, we really did close the deal uh, after um, going through all the due diligence. And, um, you know, it, it did exactly what people says it does. It was Fantastic. a huge proof of concept and it, it explodes your sales overnight. Yeah, I was gonna say, so without I me, mean, obviously you can't share all the all the, the data, but what actually happened? So the point before and after Shark Tank, you know, can you give us an idea of the scale that you achieved after getting that level of publicity, but also support from those from those sharks? Yeah, absolutely. So we did have an update. We had a year update where they went through um, the business and, and, and came back and brought us back on. So when we first pitched, we were at 80,000 in sales. That was about the first six months of the business. Uh, after we pitched on Shark Tank and aired, that 12-month period, we did over 3 million in, in sales after that period. So just a just a huge increase at that point. And then the big question was, how do you keep it going? Yeah. Well, there we go. How do you keep it going? So that that was a challenge, especially for me. Um, like I was saying before, I, I never paid for ad spend. Uh, you know, we had this roller coaster going and it was, you know, how do we, how do we keep this going? So I had to figure out ways. Uh, first, you know, we, we took the money and we made more products. Uh, we only had one bottle, one color at that time. So we started bringing in new colors. Uh, we started looking into new sizes. Uh, so that helped us scale a lot. We really, um, right away noticed that most of the people buying the bottles were females, but the end users were males. You know, they were buying for their, their husbands or kids or grandkids, uh, but they weren't buying anything for themselves. So at that point, we said, hey, we have this great opportunity to sell the females as well. Let's bring in female geared product as well. So I went from this this macho you know, man product uh, and business to now looking at it from a different angle and, and bringing my wife in to help me with it and started designing stuff for females. And this really just launches to a whole new level uh, really quick because it went from one bottle and a low card price to multiples and really getting that car price up a lot, which which greatly helped us with advertising dollars and be, being able to really get our names out there. So uh, from there, it was, you know, straight to Facebook ads, uh, mm -hmm. Instagram ads, and we put a lot of spend there. We tested with Google and, um, and even Pinterest, uh, which is a, a platform that most people don't think about, but 
for females, Pinterest is is a home run and a, and a place that we did really well with. And then we kind of went back to um, my wife's model as well and said, hey, uh, customization is big. Uh, you know, how can we use this with iShaker and kind of uh, help out both the businesses at the same time? So uh, we're really able to tap into the corporate market, you know, do personalized bottles for for golf events or, or business events or for big clients and uh, really started to tap that market as well and, and, and did really well there. So, uh, so, so marketing and and product extension, if you like, were, were the two Absolutely. the two secrets for your scale. That that's kind of the focus post post Shark Tank. That was right afterwards. Uh, were definitely the the two main things that that helped us grow fast. Yeah, fantastic. And had, did you ever, or have you ever gone into what like like Nike does, where they can personalize sneakers and you get them in thirty days? Can you get personalized bottles for the individual yet, or is it mainly just where there's a group order for corporates? No, so we can get. We, we do have a custom shop. We had that built out right away, but we can actually turn um, bottles around in two to three days. So you can go on, you can order one bottle um, with with text on it. We're actually, at the end of this month, we're opening back up our, our custom shop where you can add logos as well. Uh, yeah. So they're all, they're all pre-assigned logos. Uh, so we'll break it out into categories at this point. So, you know, stuff like military, uh, sports, uh, golf, e- even stuff like uh, like pets, like cats and dogs do really well. Um, nurses, you know, all these different categories uh, that we'll make bottles for. So there'll be pre, pre-made designs. Um, a lot of them are, are just funny, uh, like comedy geared designs. Uh, so we'll pre-make them so that people can just go through and, and select them instead. Uh, if you wanted an actual custom bottle, we still, there's really no way to mainstream that. So it, it's still a process where you'd have to email us and we're happy to make those as well. It's just a, it, It's just not something you could do directly through the website. I, I like the link up though between what you were doing with personalized gifts prior and you can bring that sort of all that learning, all that capability and expertise into what you're doing now, which is cool. Which is it's often you find in business, sometimes there's a, a joining of dots that you don't see straight away. But then when you look backwards in hindsight, you start to see it come together. So that's really cool. So what's the what's the plan now? So what's the what's the vision for this business? Are you are you going to try and scale it up and sell it? Do you want to bolt other businesses together? Have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, really 2020 for us was was about scaling. You know, we got to the point where uh, we're, we're kind of we're ready for the next step is kind of what it was. So uh, I, I look back at it and I said, how do we get there? You know, what do I need to do to get to that next level? And there was a couple of things. The first was we had to be able to get more inventory in. So uh, we just bought a new warehouse. I'm actually about two days out from moving into it. Uh, so it's been <laughs> this is my warehouse mustache is what I call it. Uh, so I've, ever since we, we, uh, started moving in and, and getting the pallet racks and everything set up and, and doing all that, I just, I kind of just gave up on my looks for a little bit because it's been, it's been a great, you're making me look bad up. now, mate. Cause I, I've still got the old beard going on here. Mind <laughs> you, I've, just been, I've just been for a run. So I'm looking a bit like that anyway. Um, yeah, so, okay. this is a 4am stash, but, um, nice. So I've been up there, been up there just, just you know, I just want to get it set up the right way and do everything the right way. And that's kind of how 2020 is now. Let's get all the processes down. Let's do this the right way. And then really it was about team. You know, how can we build the best team that we possibly can? Because to scale up, to really get to that next level, you know, everybody I talked to said, Hey, you're no different from this company that's that's you know close to a billion in sales this year. The only thing stopping you is your team. You know, you can only do so much yourself. So I put a huge focus on team. Uh, and so we're getting there. You know, we we've increased a lot of people, we've brought in really good people. And now uh, the last step will be getting into the warehouse and then building out our sales team. We've never had a sales team before. 
Yeah, I was going to ask that, particularly around with the connections that you must have, having people who endorse your product. Um, I don't like the term influencer, right? I, I find that a little bit kind of it cheapens sometimes, but having people who are advocates of of the product, they like it, they use it, they therefore endorse it. And also partnerships. Have you ever, um, I suppose you would have considered, but you know, the NFL then endorses this product as their shaker of choice. Have, have you, are you in those, is that the next journey on the sales and marketing side? That's definitely part of it. And it will come yeah. in with the sales team. Uh, it's really a, something you have to look at because it's so expensive to get an NFL license that a lot of times you, you partner up. So you partner up with a company that does have it yep. and, and you use Perfect. their platform instead. So that's something we'll definitely be looking into. Not just NFL, MLB, NBA, uh, NHL. We're able to sell to some of them directly. Uh, so we can go to the Mavs and we could sell to them and they could sell directly in their shops. Uh, but if we wanted to sell to uh, the entire NBA as, as a whole, we wouldn't be able to. Uh, so that's something we need to look into. But um, yeah, our, our sales team, once we bring that in, there's so much opportunity. Uh, NCAA Fantastic. as well. It's kind of weird this year with, uh, sounds like most of the, the college seasons will be canceled. So um, that's an opportunity that might not be there this year. But what is there is um, schools. Schools are requiring a water bottle uh, for each and every kid now. There's no more water fountains in the schools uh, because of COVID. So it'll be bottle stations instead. Uh, youth sports, same way, where there's no longer the big jug that everyone drinks out of. And now it's, hey, bring your own water bottle. So uh, this market has grown a lot for us. And a lot of people have went to online, which we've done really well with B2C. So uh, we're excited for the future. Yeah, definitely. Well, I often say, if you're going to prioritize this stuff from a kind of what goes out to market, marketing is by far and away the most important thing because you build the brand off, off the marketing strategy that you have. Then um, it's around product diversification, product development, as you were saying. And then the last one that people don't do very well, and this is the bit I always kind of drum home is partnerships. Because as I said, if you can go to somewhere where there's already that established relationship and you can then come in off the back of that, even if you lose a little bit of margin, um, the scale that that can generate, even things like international, international licensing, all of those sort of things, it just opens up so many doors for you. So yeah, I'm excited for you, Chris. I mean, it's a, I mean, I love this space and I think, you know, I've had a look at your product and I think it's awesome. So congratulations on doing it and, uh, and, you know, and congratulations on all your success actually, because as I said, at the very beginning of the show, none of this is by luck. Everything that, that you've described is focus, effort, showing up, intention, just all really, really strong characteristics of entrepreneurial success as they are in life as, as well as business. Yeah, yeah. It, it will be a grind till the end, man, is how it is. And <laughs> I tell people that all the time that I would rather be busy than bored. I mean, I think boredom is the, the biggest disease. And, um, you know, I, I've, I will work. I have no problem working all day, every day. And, and that's where you have to be as an entrepreneur. You have to be able to work hard and also be a problem solver at the end of the day. Yeah. Someone once said to me that the opposite of boredom is fear. And if you, if you want, if you think about that is that if you're challenging yourself, it can sometimes be scary, right? But if you're sitting there doing nothing, it's boredom, right? So I can see that the, the, the difference between those two concepts. So for sure. Yeah. What I want to finish with tonight is um, just a little bit more about your kind of routine because we've talked around it a little bit, but but what sort of, you know, to, to have the energy, to have the mindset, to show up, to, to hustle, to do all the things you've described, what does your um, your daily or weekly routine look like? Man, so it has to it has to have a workout in it. And so before COVID hit, it was literally I was waking up every morning at 4 a.m. and I was going directly to the gym. Uh Sometimes I'll kind of set up my day first, but a lot of times I'd actually like to set my day up while I'm at the gym, you know, in between sets uh, or cardio, I would actually sit there and, and I'd really just plan it out uh, and say, hey, let's let's get this in line. And for me, the, 
working out was really that huge stress reliever. So get there, get that all out. And then I'd just be re-energized and just ready to attack the day. And I noticed when I missed the lift that I would just get agitated so easily uh, that I'd just at lunch, I'd just go lift or I'd go work out or I'd go run or I'd do something because I would just have no patience at that point. So uh, I'm always, I, I think that's kind of just how we were raised was, you know, we were always so active that it's hard for me not to. So uh, it's been a little different with COVID. I wake up now, uh, it's pitch blackout. I can't go to the gym. So I got to wait for the sun to come up. Uh, so now uh, with three kids as well, I like to wake up and I like to kind of just crush um, about two hours of work uh, of the most important things that I have to do for the day. So um, in those two hours, when everyone else is sleeping, I could get so much done. And then the second the day actually starts uh, at 8 a.m. for me, it's so hard to focus because so many people are hitting me up. So many people are asking for things that you know I, I can't really dig down and, and focus on things. So I realized that, hey, if I want to get it done, uh, let's just do it before everyone else is awake. So I really use my mornings to really set my days up. Um, and then it, it's it's also a balancing act between uh, three kids at home right now with COVID, uh, my wife's business, and, and then you know really trying to um, get everything going and continue to move forward uh, with a new warehouse and, and new employees and uh, just the daily grind of uh, being an entrepreneur. Yeah, well, it, it's funny as I, I often say that being an entrepreneur is a roller coaster. You have these amazing peaks and you have these kind of you know troughs which aren't, aren't so great. But then again, you know the way you deal with that is energy, how you show up, and and a lot of the things that we've talked about today on the show oh man so i love the story i i wanted to probe into that in quite a lot of detail because again i think when people listen to scale up your business it's mainly it's mainly hearing from others who are going through it right and and it's the little things that pop out that often kind of make a difference for people and they get some inspiration or they get some education to be able to move forward so you've certainly covered lots of those things today chris a couple last questions for you mate if that's all right absolutely Okay, so thinking of all the great people you've had around you, be that coaches, your parents, your brothers, um, business colleagues, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? It can be towards business or life, but one thing that really stands out. Yeah, it's definitely, a, I would say, a story from my dad. Um, and he had to tell me it about five times before I actually listened to him as well, which is which is even worse. But um, <laughs> yeah. Love it. So the story, his story was, and he continues to tell me it all the time, uh, even though I am actually uh, you know, really doing a, a good job to focus on what he learned from it. But um, you know, he was an entrepreneur himself. Uh, one of the biggest fitness brands in the world is Life Fitness. Uh, yeah. So he was doing so well that he got invited to Hawaii and, uh, you know, he got the, the free trip and all that. And on the beach, the, the CEO came up to him and the CEO of Life Fitness, you know, they talked through his situation, his stores, everything that he's doing. And at the end of the conversation, he, the CEO uh, said to my dad, you know, so you, you're happy with where you're at? And my dad was like, what do you mean? I'm, you know, we're going to continue to grow. We're going to do all this. And he said, doesn't sound like it. And he was like, well, what do you mean? And my dad, my dad's someone that likes to fight too. So and he was up in arms <laughs> right away. And uh, he was like, what's that supposed to mean? And, and you know, what he said to him was, hey, you have so much on your plate. You're not hiring anyone else. You're not giving anyone else responsibilities. You're never going to grow bigger than you are. And so for years, as, as my wife's business grew and as iShaker grew, he kept saying the same things to me. You know, why are you answering customer service emails? You know, why, why are you still the one that's printing and packing orders? You know, why are you doing all these things? You know, that's great that, that you're doing them and that you've learned it, but you have to be able to pass it on to somebody else at some point because you can only get so far. You can't scale if you're doing everything yourself. So um, I, I think that was one of the, the best pieces of advice that he gave me that he obviously struggled with himself 
and then I struggled with it. And now my wife struggles with it as well. So uh, it's kind of funny because once you finally see the light um, and you finally realize that you have to delegate, you you don't just delegate, you, you have to give it to them and let them run with it. You know, you have to give them that responsibility. And, you know, if they're not as good as you are at it, you teach them, you teach them how to be great at it. And people can learn, you know, just because they're not great at it first, you don't have to go and run back and do it because that's what I was doing. I'll give it to someone and then I pull it back and say, hey, you know, I, they're just not as good as me. And now I finally realized that, hey, I got to give it to them. And then I got to teach them if they if they need it. And now I'm realizing that a lot of times they're better than me at it. Uh, so Perfect. that was one piece of advice that for anyone, uh, you're going to get stuck in it, especially as an entrepreneur, because you are, you're so competitive. It's your baby. You want to do it all. You know, you want to have full control, but at some point when you finally let go of it and you look back, you're going to say, wow, you know, that was the best decision that I ever made. Yeah. I want to, I want to, um, bold that and underline your description because you've kind of just done one of, one of my key definitions of scale up. And what you said there is true. Everyone struggles with it. I've struggled with it. There's a piece there, but until you unleash that, until you kind of can step away, you ever, never really have freedom, you know, that freedom for time and money in your business. And quite often I find the test is, you know, set up the infrastructure, set up the machine, and then go away for at least four weeks, sometimes even three months, and just see how your business operates. Quite often, if you've set it up properly, it'll actually do better without you there. And then you know you've really got it. Yeah, cool. All righty. So, yeah. okay. Yeah, and I'm, and that's somewhere I'm trying to get trying to get there. <laughs> you'll get, get that three there. month vacation. No, you'll get there. Okay. And equal to that question, what's the what's the worst piece of advice? Now you don't have to share who gave this to you, but a piece of advice that you kind of may have listened to growing up, or you've applied in business, and you thought, you know what, I don't think that's cool. right. Does, does anything jump out? Man, it, really, the first thing that jumps out is just a marketing firm that tried to get me um, early on. And it was, you know, sign up with us. We'll take care of it. Uh, you know, all hands off. You don't need to do anything. And um, it just felt way too easy. So, I, I mean, at the end of the day, that's that's probably really the lesson. Um, the end of the day is, man, if, it, if it's too if it's too easy, it is for a reason, and, and it's not going to be successful. So, I, if I signed with this company, which was a six figure marketing deal that they wanted to take me on to uh, super early on, I would have been screwed. Uh, and, and they just kept drilling home of why I need to do it. So. Um, they, what they kept saying was you need to go right to local TV, you know, let's go to TV, let's go to TV. And, um, I knew I, I, later on, just listening to podcasts, kind of, kind of stuff like your stuff, um, uh, listening to big entrepreneurs. Um, I realized really quick that I made the right decision not to do it. And, and I had been told over and over TV's dead, you know, you're not going to get your value out of it. And at that time I didn't know it, but, but it just didn't feel right. So I walked away from it. So. Uh, that was probably my worst piece of advice I could I could have got. No, but there's and, a good lesson. There's a good lesson in that, Chris, though, that sometimes, and this is the reason I do what I do now, is because there are lots of situations where just because someone starts a business doesn't mean that they're going to know everything they need to do, right? So you need to surround yourself with people who have been there and done it, right, to help advise you on that stuff. Because I've I've made those mistakes where someone comes in and they're trying to sell you something. And if you don't know the answer, if you don't know, you know, you haven't done this before, for example, you can sometimes say yes to that. And I've seen decisions in businesses where like like what you could have gone in that you make that one decision at an early stage and then all of a sudden everything cracks. So, you know, it's a very powerful lesson, I think. You know, I like to ask these questions to people because it's the lesson beneath the question that's important. All right, final one for you, mate. You've been generous with your time. Final one is, if you, it's a hard one, right? If you were going to look ahead 20 years, 
right? Or let's say you're ahead and you're looking back, I should say, on your on what you've mm -hmm. created. What what have you done? What have, what 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 impact have you made on the world? What what can you see? Yeah, yeah, that that was another um, really a big focus of this year as well as you know what what is the goal here and why did I start the company? Because um, I know we talked about it on my podcast just about clarity. You know, yeah. what was the goal? Why did I start this in the first place? And really, I started it uh, really to, to help myself live a more active and healthy lifestyle. And, and so 2020 came back to that for us. Uh, before all the stuff hit and COVID hit and all that, we really at the beginning of the year said, hey, what is the goal? Why did we start this? And what are we doing? What are we trying to, to accomplish here? And, you know, it feels good to help people do the right thing. So my dad in the fitness industry says it all the time. You know, I, I could have made more money selling cars or whatever it was. I started a car dealership, but I help people and I help people change their lives uh, forever. You know, I get them in better shape. Um, I, I give them the tools to be successful uh, physically, which turns into mental um, as well. So that was kind of how I was looking at it and how I want to look back in 20 years. You know, I want to look back and say, hey, this was a product um, and a company, more, more a company and a lifestyle that helped change my life. You know, by buying from Chris and being a part of Ice Shaker, uh, and the whole Gronkowski brand, it got me motivated. It helped me go to that next level, get in shape and 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 work hard. You know, that's really what the brand stands for. So uh, that's my goal at the end of the day, 20 years looking back. Uh, maybe it's not just through this vehicle. Maybe it's not just through Ice Shaker, but really as all of our brands combined, uh, the Gronkowski name, that's what I think it really represents. Man, awesome. Okay, that's a great way for us to finish the show. You know, one of the things I say, one of the gifts of podcasting is, you get to have um, you know, long, interesting conversations with amazing people. So you've definitely delivered on that um, tonight, Chris. So thank you for coming on Scale Up Your Business. I want to wish you all the success. Last question really is how can people find you if they want to learn more about iShake or you or your, your family? Where can they find you? Absolutely. So uh, check me out at Chris Gronkowski on Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram mostly Instagram, a little TikTok now too as well. Um, iShaker at iShaker.com, uh, at iShaker Bottle on all the handles. And then family-wise, uh, we have a new YouTube channel that's launching. Uh, it's probably going to be launched by the time you get this out. So it's going to be exciting. But um, really, it, it's just the family, man. It, it was a way for all five of us brothers um, to get back together with each other. Uh, once my brother retired, we're like, hey, you know, Games were kind of that opportunity for us all to come back and hang out and really have a good time together. You know, how can we do it now? So we started this this channel, uh, and it really helps us come together and just film and have fun. And we have a ton of really cool things on there, uh, really, really cool guests as well that will be on it. So check out the YouTube channel, and then check out Gronked Up, my podcast as well. Um, Nick, you'll be on there soon as well. So um, awesome. I think Looking forward to it. a lot of value from that because, <laughs> you know, they don't get to interview you every day or hear you on, on your own uh, talk about some of the amazing things that you dropped on my podcast. So definitely check that out as well. Yeah, cool. Well, listen, as I say, Chris, it's been an absolute delight, pleasure to have you on the show. Wish you all the best. Thanks for uh, adding so much value to the uh, Scale Up Your Business audience. Thanks so much, Nick. Take care. So that was Chris Gronkowski. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, you can probably tell I was excited all the way through getting into the whole thing about sports. Um, as I said in the intro, um, a massive passion of mine, but just so many great things there. You know, the, the way that he has held himself and the way that he's stuck through various challenging times. And as I said, that was the main thing I wanted you to get out of having Chris on the show. Alrighty, just one big announcement. 
that I want to give you. We have been working over the last few months, myself and the Scale Up Your Business team, on a way of really helping people get an analysis of their business, particularly the areas where they feel they're doing well, they're not. And I've been talking quite a lot on other podcasts recently about the six peaks of value creation. And these are six categories, six lenses that I used to look at businesses through when I used to do my private equity stuff. And it was the thing that would help us evaluate whether we would buy a business, whether we would invest in a business. And it's the same six things actually that when, you know, we sell a business that another person buying the business is actually going to be looking at as well to try and maximize the value. Hence the reason we call it the six peaks of value creation. So we have created an assessment, the six peaks assessment, and that is a free resource for anyone who has a business that's, you know, it might be growing, it might be plateauing, uh, it might be performing well, but you just want to get a, an understanding about if there are any things you should be focusing more on. Conversely, it might not be performing well and you need a triage. You need to understand exactly which area needs the most attention, which is going to unlock that future growth and allow you to properly scale. So I'm super excited to, to launch this. It's a very, very quick um, assessment. It doesn't take very long, but it will give you a really good set of metrics, insights for you to be able to move forward in your business. So if that sounds interesting to you and you'd like to take that assessment, we'll leave a link to that in the show notes. And of course, once you've done that, if there are any insights that you'd like to explore further, myself and the team are happy to help. We have a whole range of different areas now that we've created under Scale Up Your Business, everything from marketing and sales to digital transformation to financial gearing, lots of different capabilities and levels of expertise. Because what I've found since doing this podcast is that people can get education, they can get inspiration from listening. And I'm really, really grateful I can give that to people. But quite a lot of people now need help. They need a bit of hand-holding. They need a bit of accountability. So I wanted to be able to make that um, available to people who are trying to grow their business, scale their business, create their empire. So that's it for today. Thank you very much, everyone. As I always say, be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up. Bye for now.